Okay, next up, it's every parent's worst nightmare, discovering that your child is seriously ill. The fear, the helplessness, and of course, the financial financial strain that the diagnosis puts on the entire family. My next guest lived through that hell when her little girl was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer called Ewing sarcoma at the age of three. Since then, Shania Govender and her family have been on a journey which has really tested them to the emotional and financial limits. Last year, Doctors were forced to amputate Shania's left arm and to date she's been in and out of hospital approximately 26 times and has been unable to attend school since April 2017. Here's a short clip of Shania talking about her illness in her own words. Hi, I'm Shania first and I am five years old and I'm here to tell you that other kids have cancer too. I have bone cancer that's called urine sarcoma. When I was three, I had a bad pain in my arm. Mommy and Daddy took me all to the doctor and they thought I got infection. They, they operated and operated for six months, but my arm kept getting bigger and bigger. It was so painful and I couldn't even move it. Well, devastatingly, despite the amputation, the family discovered in July last year that the cancer had spread. And now to support them with funds to help cover their bond, electricity, transportation to and from hospital, uh, special dietary requirements, as well as additional medical expenses not covered by their medical aid. Uh, a campaign has been created uh, on donations-based crowdfunding platform Backer Buddy. And to tell us more about their journey, uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the line uh, by Shania's mum, uh, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, welcome and thank Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Sarah Jane. Thank you for having me. Will you take us back to the beginning? It was April 2017 that um, that this all began, and Shania complained of a pain in her arm. Is that right? That's correct. It, um, I think that night still rings in my head because it was about 11 p.m. in the night, and I was actually baking for a friend's daughter, and she, Shania just started screaming out of nowhere completely healthy child who I can't even say had a flu from the time she was a baby. And she just started screaming. We couldn't control her screaming. I finally settled her down with some Panado syrup. And the next morning we took her to the doctor in the nearby emergency room and her fever was not subsiding. It was 41 degrees and it just wasn't subsiding. And the doctor told us she could have strained her arm, which was weird to us because she didn't do anything strenuous. Three days later, her fever was still high, wasn't subsiding, and her arm started swelling, and it became hot and red. I took her back to the same doctor, and the doctor did x-rays, and then referred us to an orthopedic specialist at a nearby hospital, and that's when that nightmare started. Am I right in thinking that she was initially misdiagnosed, that there was initially a misdiagnosis? Yep, there was a six-month misdiagnosis. So it all started off like that with the pain in the arm. We got to the orthopedic specialist and he immediately said he needed to do an MRI and he diagnosed her with an infection called osteomyelitis. So what was the weird part is we couldn't understand how could she get an infection so quickly and he said, no, it's common to have infection in the bone but he had to take her into surgery immediately to drain the bone 
and then keep her in recovery. She stayed in hospital for about four nights in April, took her back into theater, and he cleaned the wound, discharged us, and he said, no, the swelling would subside. We took her for all her follow-up checks and all her scans, and then in June, it was Father's Day, and again, her arm started swelling, and she was screaming with pain. Took her back, another orthopedic source, because the first one was on leave. And he said it was the osteomyelitis coming back. Again, he took her back into theater, this time connected a drain into her arm. They said they drained the pus and they were sending the pus for cultures. All the tests came back clear, discharged us home after three nights. Then we went to a pediatrician because her arm was still swelling and we just didn't know what to do. And the pediatrician told us, no, it was an allergy to eggs. And she had something called chicken skin. So he then started treating her for this allergy to eggs. We then took her to homeopathic because we were desperately mm. just looking mm. for doctors to try and figure out what's going on with this child. Because mm. her arm at that stage was nearly 20 centimeters in size. Sure. From 13 centimeters in the normal size. And then he said, no, it could be that she had septic arthritis. All along the way, everyone telling us that her past cultures are coming back clear. We then ended up at a bone infection specialist in July last year. He looked at her arm and he said that abnormal, uh, her arm was abnormal in size because there was new bone growth. And it was common when you have an infection and the infection eats away the old bone and now you have a new bone that's growing. And again, MRIs, tests, past cultures, blood tests. By that stage, I was in and out of theater five times. Then her, she started getting very sick and fevers were not subsiding and he admitted her and kept her in hospital for 18 days straight. And he had to, again, took her into surgery. He scraped the bone, drained it. He had her connected to drains for that 18 days. She couldn't get out of bed. But his arm was just not coming down in size. But then in end of July, it went up to 33 centimeters. And he thought she had a staph infection. We then, on the 2nd of September, uh, we contacted the same bone infection specialist and said something's going on because now it looks like there's veins surrounding the outside of our arm and it's just abnormal. At that point, she couldn't even straighten the arm, let alone feel her fingers because it was so massive in size. And he referred us back to a limb salvage surgeon here right in their home. And we thought, now, why are we getting another referral? Because this was a sick specialist we were seeing. And when we saw this specialist, he sent us an X-ray. And I think we still are gobsmacked by that day. That's one of the days that um, hit us very hard because he looked at us and he, his words to us was actually feel disappointed by my profession because your child sure. doesn't have an infection. Leanne, just talk about, if you will, just talk about the impact. And we haven't even got to, to the diagnosis, which which eventually came, uh, which was this rare bone disease called uh, Ewing sarcoma. But just talk about the impact that all of this was having uh, on the family. And, of course, on Shania herself, who, um, I mean, she, she's five years old now, but she was, she was so small. How were you able to explain having to go back and forth and how? How do you explain to a youngster, you know, mummy and daddy can't can't stop you hurting? I mean, that must have just been heartbreaking. You know, up to now, um, Sarah Jane, I always tell everyone that Shania has actually been our strength through all of this. 
Because regardless of what you tell her that she has to go through or how many times you tell her you have to go through it, as long as you explain what the doctors are going to do, this child takes it. Regardless of what they do to her in the hospital and even through the entire misdiagnosis, all she's expected from my husband and I was to be honest with her and what they're going to do. And sometimes it's strange to expect that of a three-year-old to understand it. And even now that she's five, she's still a little girl. But all she expects is like this honesty and she just goes through it. She'll never put up a scream or a fight or argue, why do I have to stay here? Why do I have to do this? And it's actually remarkable that this little girl has been our student to get us through Eventually, the diagnosis came through of uh, of Ewing sarcoma. Did you know anything about the disease at that point, or was it completely completely new to you? It was honestly completely new to me because mm. both my husband and I don't have history of cancer on both sides of our family. Right. So the word cancer didn't even cross our minds. We were doing, I can't even tell you, countless research on osteomyelitis and staph infection and chicken allergies and septic arthritis, all to assure ourselves of what she was going through. Not once did even any of our Google search link osteomyelitis to cancer. As I said in the intro, it, it was such that, that last year um, Shania had to have her left arm amputated. How has she, well, first of all, how did you break the news to her? I can't imagine having to break that to, to a grown-up, let alone uh, to a small child. So um, when we started this entire journey in September 2017, our oncologists were very honest with us about the fact that they don't know if they could save her arm. The amount of damage that was done to her arm, basically all the incorrect surgeries created an open channel for this tumor to grow mm. to the extent that the tumor crushed the bottom part of her humerus. It wrapped itself around her arteries as well as her nerves, which were all completely dead because it was consumed by this tumor. So the doctors were quite honest with us from September 2017 when she started the chemotherapy. And from then already, we told her that even though this chemo might help with her illness, there's probably a chance that she's going to lose her arm. So it was preparation that we were doing from then. And we were lucky to meet a physiotherapist that was helping us with her balancing and her cause. There was a lot of things on the sides we were doing at the back of our head as well to prepare for this. But again, I must say this little girl got us through it because when her amputation happened on the 2nd of March, she came out of theater, and an hour within coming out of theater, she woke up, and she was very alert, and the nurses and I were trying to tell her, no, you need to sleep, and you need to relax, because she had all these dreams. And she said, no, mommy, I need to see it. I need to see it. Sure. So I was crying, and the nurses were assuring me, and then she looked at it, and she said, it's not that bad. So you wow. don't have to cry. It's not that bad. And we were also looking back on it because two days after amputation, her drains were out. She didn't move from ICU straight to a PEDS ward. They actually discharged her and sent her home because she had the amputation that Friday. The Sunday she was sitting up. She sat up on her own. She walked out of the bed and she said, no, I can't wear this clothes anymore. You need to put my clothes on for me. And she was in a tutu and tiara and everything in her head. Then I see you. 
How has she adjusted to life since the amputation? I mean, obviously, when uh, we know about um, when when you have an amputation, is it? Um, oh, I can't remember the name, but but the the feeling as if the arm is or the limb is still there. Has she has she had that at all? So we were uh, lucky, like I said, is we had a physiotherapist that were was working with us from the time that uh, arm started swelling. So when she had the surge, all the incorrect surgeries. We had a physio that was on this journey with us. So at the point where she was having the amputation, we were doing a lot of stuff at home to prepare her. So one of the main things her physio was doing with her is called mirror therapy. To actually look into the mirror and the mirror creates the illusion that she's got two arms so that she could learn how to flex on both sides and release her muscles. So they were doing a lot of therapy with the mirror to actually get rid of those ghost pains. So she was, I think it was a week after amputation, she was back on her feet, running around, focusing on her balance. She was in the water swimming within two months. Everything started getting a bit hazy in July last year when the relapse happened. Yeah, yeah. I I gather that when uh, when Shania lost her hair, the whole family did something to try and make her feel better. Uh, yes, so that actually wasn't when she lost her hair. It was when the relapse happened last oh, year. Right. August. Yeah. So her emotions started getting the better of her last year, August, when the relapse happened because suddenly it dawned upon her that I'm doing all of this. I'm listening to mommy and daddy and nothing's getting better. Yeah. Um, and it was this battle that we struggled with her. And at that time, we had the house on sale. And then suddenly now she had to deal with the fact, okay, I've got the one arm. I can't walk as well because the pain is in both my legs. And it was just too much for her. And then the doctors told her she had to do more chemo. And we came home from the hospital and she just cried. And I couldn't understand why she was crying so much. And I asked her why. And she says, no, all my hair that's growing is going to fall out again. So for a child, I don't know why this is making me emotional, but for a child who dresses up and that's been her thing is that she dresses up and she takes the most care of herself that just got to her. Mm. So I asked her, what do you want? What do you want for me to do? And she says, I want all of us to look the same. So at the same time, um, my husband, my son, we actually let her shave it off for us. So we have pictures of her shaving our our heads. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You eventually made the decision that you, you would give up work. What has been the impact of that on the family? So that actually has been a massive impact on our family because um, my salary was actually the largest salary at home. Right. Uh, last year, April, post the amputation, she suddenly went through this phase where everything needed mummy. Mm. So mummy had to be there when she was eating. Mummy had to be there when she was going to the bathroom. And I used to leave home before six and unfortunately return home at about five and she just was not coping emotionally. If mommy wasn't involved in everything she, she was doing. So at that stage, my husband and I had a discussion. And um, even though the company that I was working for was so accommodating, would leave any time I needed to work from home, it just wasn't working out for us anymore because she needed me at home. And we couldn't do this back and forth. You take leave today, you take leave tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't working out. And we were saving up money to take her to Disneyland because that's what she wanted to do. And we said, okay, let's put this on hold for another year because she's on maintenance now. If we can get through the next year of maintenance, we're on countdown to finish chemo in November 2018. 
I'm sure you can, I can go back to the workplace next year because I was in quite a senior position. Mm. Um, yeah, and then the entire relapse happened, which we completely gobsmacked us because we, we were literally on a countdown to her fifth birthday, to her last chemo. And uh, financially, I think everything went out the water because our plan didn't include keeping our home, which is our largest expense. And at that stage, we were going to sell, we were going to downscale to a two-bedroom house. And and then suddenly her relapse happened and all of these emotions came. She didn't want to let go of her room. She didn't want to let go of her play area in the yard. She just, nothing, everything is centered around this house suddenly. Mm -hmm. And I guess keeping the status quo for her. It is. So her psychologist and a lot of our friends actually made us realize that this is her place of safety. This is the one thing that hasn't changed for her and she hasn't had to adapt this illness to because every, we've built this home for her and it's literally her place of safety. So we just we try to make it work. We've been trying our best to make it work, but unfortunately um, that little bit that we had saved up it was very fast depleting because of the decision to keep the house. And with one salary, unfortunately, it's not easy. Can you give us an idea of what the medical bills have been so far? <laughs> I'll probably scare you. But um, to date, her medical aid um, bills have been nearly $1.6 million from, the, from April 2017. Yeah. And presumably and you've, you've, you've also incurred expenses that, that the medical yeah, aid haven't not, paid out before? No, that's yeah. not taking into account the number of scans we had to pay for cash, the blood tests we had to pay for um, out-of-hospital medication that comes out of our pocket. Um, yeah, we actually don't even keep a tally of that anymore because it's such a reoccurring experience. Um, and often I think it goes by this taking for granted a small thing like groceries. But when you have a child with a terminally ill disease, then you can't look for the special or where it's easiest to... You're looking for convenience yeah. and what the child needs. It doesn't matter if the things are special, you'll have to pay the price because that's what the child needs. So that entire budget that you have for gross, something as simple as groceries just goes completely out the window. At what point did you decide to start a crowdfunding campaign? And for me, this is this is the most important part now because um, people are able to support you. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? And, and also, of course, if people want to donate, how can they do that? Okay. So I've been lucky in the fact that there's a lot of childhood cancer charities that's been helping us, um, namely Rainbow and Smiles and Cupcakes for Hope. And we've actually gotten very close to Rainbow and Smiles. And the ladies, they were talking to me and said, you know what, Dan, we need to reach out to communities and let your story be heard so that you can get help that you'll need. You can't go through this alone and have the stress of finances when your child is so sick and you actually don't know what her future is going to bring. Mm. So let her story get heard. Let her tell her story. And I'm sure the community is going to come together and you're going to get help financially. So that takes off the financial stress that you can actually take care of your child. So that's where this came from. Um, The reality is that over and above um, what we have to pay for on a monthly basis, we're taking out 13,000 rand from the savings account that we had 
and which is literally fast depleting. So we were trying to raise an amount that could actually get us through the next year so I could still stay at home and not worry about do I need to find a part-time job or do I need to find another form of income and just focus on Shania for at least the next year. Tell us where how, how people can, can donate. Okay, so one of the ways that they can donate is to go to www.backobuddy.co.za. If they search support Shania the first, there's a donate button next to the barometer. So when they click donate, they actually give them the options on how to donate through Backobuddy and those funds come directly through to Shania. You've told us about the type of child that, that Shania is and she just seems full of resilience. Um, for you, what what does the future hold for you as a family? And, and how far into the future do you look or do you simply take it a day at a time? Um, at the point that she relapsed, we, we stop looking at the future and we literally take it one day at a time with her. We always say that we realize very quickly how we're living on borrowed time and how blessed we are that she's actually gotten this far because her chances of survival are very low. And the fact that she's been fighting odds enough time and getting through this, we're just blessed that we had almost two years with us and she felt sick. So when she wakes up and early in the morning, she tells me, Mommy, I want to drink soda. I give her soda to drink if it's from ice cream. Mm-hmm. Even though I know that it's not the best for a child in the morning, that's literally what we do. Yeah. If she wants to stay up late in the night and cuddle with her brother so that they can watch a movie, we let them do that as well. We literally take things day by day because we realize how blessed we are with this precious, precious angel for the past two years that we could have lost easily two years ago. Leanne, our hearts and our thoughts go out to you. Um, it is, as I said in, at the beginning, it is every parent's worst nightmare and uh, it, it is just absolutely devastating to hear uh, the, the resilience of, of your family and, and of your precious little girl just just sh- just shine through uh, and we send all the very best to you and we'll be putting the details of, uh, the, uh, of the crowdfunding campaign on our website and we just hope and we know uh, that our listeners are generous in, in spirit and generous in pocket also and I just hope that um, every little helps I'm sure for you and just know that our thoughts are with you. Uh, thank you so much Sarah Jane, really appreciate this interview and getting the word out there. And Absolutely. Thank you, really thank you. Absolutely and much love of course to, to Shania. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Uh,